From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this Friday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm, Neil McCready coming to you this morning. We're going to talk with Adam Genishow of Mississippi Today. Obviously, uh, a lot going on in the, inside the state, inside the uh, the country, and really the whole world right now with the uh, the pandemic, how Mississippi lawmakers are handling things, what, uh, what, what things look like from a Mississippi Department of Health standpoint, and more with Adam coming up on the podcast brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon. Highway 6 West in Oxford, take take advantage of the uh, the drive-through service with the Oxford Crystal. Use the uh, Speed Pass Plus app if you're checking into the Oxford Exxon because you don't have to touch anything. You can get fuel without having to uh, deal with the cards, deal with paying for it, with touching more things when that is a uh, no-no right now with the Oxford Exxon. And again, uh, coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900 is the phone number. Give Corey a call. He can still uh, help you out right now with everything going on. He gets you a quote within 15 minutes. Do everything at your door or however you need to do without, uh, again, without any contact. They can still make the car buying process as easy as possible. And when all this is over, uh, make sure you check out Rafters. Adam coming to you from the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. He gave away tons of meals a week and a half ago. Hopefully some more things coming on tap with that as well. So when uh, when this clears, restaurants reopen and whatnot, uh, check out Rafters. In uh, in Oxford, Adam. Good to uh, good to talk to you. We're recording this on Thursday night. In case anything crazy happens in the next twelve hours, we were not oblivious. We just did not know it at the time. I know what it's like up here. I mean, everybody's seen pictures. Everybody's mostly doing the stay at home thing. It is especially on Friday, Saturday night. It was a ghost town around compared to what you would see even beyond summer and spring break. What's Jackson like right now? The same. Okay. Uh, it it is wild. So I actually live downtown Jackson, which um, you know, not a whole lot of people live down here. It's, it's uh, more and more people are moving. And if you're if you're thinking about it, y'all should take a look at, at that. By the way, a little shameless plug for my neighborhood there. But um, you know, living downtown during the week is always busy. I mean, a lot of people out walking during lunch hour. A lot of traffic in the mornings and the evenings. Um, you know, it's it's like everywhere else right now. It's just kind of dead. I think most people are trying to work from home if they can. Um, you know, right now, uh, in Jackson, this time of year is always the legislative session. And that's sort of what I cover on a daily basis. So, um, ton of traffic, usually downtown, you know, hundreds of people there just specifically for that. Um, you know, the legislature obviously, uh, last week decided to go home, uh, indefinitely. And, um, yeah, it's, it's like I said, like everywhere else, it's just pretty slow, pretty dead. So the New York Times had a, had a story a couple of days ago showing, I think it was the New York Times, it was somebody else, might have been the Wall Street Journal that I say this, but about cell phone data tracking in Mississippi, how they've social distanced compared to everybody else. We see here, I'm reading from Mississippi today, Mississippi has the nation's 12th highest COVID infection rate to this point. Overall, the best you can tell, how are Mississippians doing just following these rules or forget rules, just following what the national norm would be compared to everybody else? Because we see all this about the, you know, the furniture auction in Tupelo where there's tons of people all over each other. I know Tate Reeves had tons of publicity from not closing the beaches early in the week. Overall, how are we doing? Yeah, that's, that's kind of the big question. And it's, you know, a lot of that sort of assessment is anecdotal so it's it's a little bit tough to tell right. uh, i also read that new york times piece the the data tracking first thought was how weird is it that these third parties are sharing with national media outlets our movements based on <laughs> cell phone tracking first you know that's that's a little strange but uh it, it was interesting just to kind of see uh you know how mississippians have done there um you know i think like most everything else, you know, Mississippi is often slower to respond to, uh, you know, uh, crises, national crises, whether it be uh, a pandemic like this or uh, just sort of uh, other responses, emergency responses, um, you know, over the over the past few years, um, you know, from the from the elected officials, so state official standpoint. That's definitely the case. I think, you know, Mississippi was a little bit slower in rolling out any sort of uh, precautionary measures in terms of limiting uh, who could do what, what businesses were technically essential and were exempt from uh, some of those limitations. Um, So, 
uh, obviously that, that caused a bit of confusion um, in Mississippi, specifically the last few days, because as there was no or very limited response from the state level, a lot of local officials sort of took that into their own hands. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get uh, to like, that because Robin Tannehill in Oxford was one sure, of the main parts yeah, of that. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I guess we can do that now. Well, why not? So yesterday I saw you've uh, you've had a pretty fun last 24 hours on Twitter, haven't you? <laughs> I'm, I'm always getting myself into trouble on Twitter, it seems like, but um, it's it's uh, it's where I where I like to reside every now and then. So it's it's been it's been fun. It's a good way to put it. Is there a is there sort of a method to that? I mean, there's not with me. I, I kind of just I, I'm bad about using 160 characters and then wondering if I'm going to regret it later. But given what you do, being that it is usually news and a little more look, sports is just sports. Something a little more important. Do you do you try to set certain tones with social media and different things? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, specifically on Twitter, which is which is what I do. You know, I do a lot of Facebook. I try to try to engage as as much as I can on Facebook, but um, you know, Twitter is like I said, my sort of my go to. Uh, it's a younger crowd. It's a uh, more, I think, generally speaking, it's a more uh, politically or news engaged crowd as well. Um, but you know, what I've seen sort of in these times, like in in the pandemic specifically. Um, you know, people are, are just thirsty for information and they're, they're seeking it out. So, um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people reach out to me on Twitter the last week or so, just asking about, you know, Saul Tate Reeves did this or local officials are doing this, you know, just asking, asking questions. So I'm trying to, you know, make this, uh, as easy to digest and understand as possible. Cause a lot of this, this government, you know, uh, high dealing sort of decision making that oftentimes occurs in back rooms and it's all jargony. It's tough to follow. Um, even for me, somebody who's been covering this for a number of years. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, trying to light it, lighten it up some on Twitter, you know, I, I like to engage directly with people, uh, as much as I can, in addition to just sort of, uh, you know, trying to do my best at informing and, um, yeah, you know, another thing I've also been trying to do through all this chase is is focus on some positive stories. Uh, you know, like everyone else, I've been sort of immersed in in the uh, uncertainty and the questioning and the honestly fear at times about what we're dealing with right now and what it's going to mean. You know, not just for the short term, but for the long term in, in this state in this country. Um, so I, I kind of have made a point to like reach out you know, on, on my social platforms and say, Hey, if y'all have heard of any Mississippians specifically who are going above and beyond to help each other out right now, when, when everybody needs it most, let me know. Um, so that's been kind of a cool outlet for me on my personal, uh, social media brands as well. Um, have had the opportunity to, to feature a couple of those really sort of heartwarming, uh, stories of Mississippians, um, going to great lengths to help help other Mississippians out. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's a long-winded answer to your question about how I treat my social media. But, um, yeah, the, the last 24 hours specifically <laughs> uh, has been has been a little bit contentious on Twitter specifically. Yeah, so stemming from, I guess we'll, we'll start with Oxford, but there's several different people, obviously, sure. towns and things that, that have done this. Uh because Mississippi was, as you said, slow moving from a state level to uh, to implement any restrictions for the most part. Robin Tannehill on Sunday said that it's not a shelter in place. It's a stay at home, put in a, a list of essential businesses, list of non-essential businesses that would have to close, um, did some different things like that. They've talked about churches and CDC guidelines and just, just tightened everything up. It wasn't crazy restrictive, but it was certainly a, a, a step in that level. Jason Shelton and Tupelo put in an even more stricter one. He put in a shelter in place order. And then, uh, as, as we, we, you and I were kind of been joking to yesterday, uh, Tate Reeves does sign the first um, actual statewide order. I think it was like Executive Order fourteen sixty three or something like that on two, sorry Tuesday, not not yesterday. And mm-hmm. it was not as strict as a lot of the, the the local municipalities had put in place. I guess take me through early when that first happens. What is sort of the way you're hearing that that was going to go into effect? What what did it actually say? Because I, I know I was kind of making fun of you a little bit and kind of laughing with you, but you and Donna Ladd had a big back and forth about the literal meanings of some of these things. Sort of take me through your day as you learn more about that process. Sure. Well, uh, 
Tate Reeves on Tuesday early afternoon announced that he was going to later that day issue an executive order that would sort of serve as a minimum standard or minimum guidelines for cities and counties to to act during this uh, pandemic. And again, knowing that that you know the governor and the state level officials had been slow to do something like this, that's a big deal. Um, so he issues the order and I read it and, and there's this clause in it. It was like a three and a half page order. Uh, again, it's jargony. It's, it's all legalese that, you know, I'm not an attorney. I didn't go to law school. I don't understand this stuff. So I read this clause that if I'm with my very amateur glasses on reading this, I'm saying, huh, all these previous local orders, like the one you just mentioned in Oxford or Tupelo or some of these other cities that had already put measures in place, it looked like from Tate Reeves' order that it was possible that all of those previous local orders would be nullified uh, with this statewide one that was issued on Tuesday. So, um, and, and Real again, quick, just, just, under- just to quickly interrupt you, meaning there was no exact sure. language saying this superseded all other orders. Well... I mean, if you read the exact order, and I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but you can go to the website and read it or Twitter or whatever, but the language seemed to suggest that in my, again, my amateur reading of it, it seemed to suggest that that was a possibility, Okay, um, but I didn't fully grasp it. So what I did in a situation like this is, you know, I have, you know, a handful of go-to attorneys who work in state government who do this for a living. So I reached out to three of them immediately. I texted them the executive order. I was like, hey, this clause right here, what do you think this says? Three different attorneys who, like I said, they're sort of my go-tos. Three different attorneys interpreted that clause in three different ways. So I said, oh, hell, I better start making some phone calls and trying to figure out what this means. So um, in the meantime, several other outlets had reported that – you know, that the governor's executive order was, in fact, going to supersede um, these local orders. And, you know, I read those articles and I was like, well, let me let me keep asking the questions because I'm not sure that's right. So um, I get on the phone with a handful of different people, including uh, several mayors of these cities that I knew would have problems. Uh, Robin Tannehill was one of them. Um, some of the city attorneys uh, who actually would work through these questions or whatever. And then I called the governor's office too. Uh, and I'm asking everyone the same question, like, how are you interpreting this clause? What do you think this means for the local orders that had previously been implemented? So of course, of my reporting, um, you know, as I'm reporting it out, the governor's office is talking to mayor's offices, city staff, city attorneys, they're all trying to put their heads together and figure out what exactly they meant, what the intent of the order was. Um, So by the time my story published late in the day on Wednesday, it was Wednesday evening, uh, by that time, most of the mayors who had been confused and had concerns about what the statewide order meant for their local orders, they had been assured by the governor's office that, nah, y'all are good. This is just, this is meant, the intent of this was to be a baseline. Y'all can take whatever additional measures you want to, to, ensure the safety of your citizens in your towns. So um, that was sort of where I thought my day was going to end on Wednesday. But uh, I'm sitting at home. I'm, I, I had just poured a, poured a glass of scotch. I'm sitting, sitting back trying to relax a little bit. And uh, my phone starts blowing up because apparently Rachel Maddow, right. you know, the MSNBC anchor, of course, had gone on her show and quoted one of those local articles that suggested that Tate Reeves was trying to supersede the authority of mayors across the state. Uh, she had, she had read that article or part of that article on, on her show on Wednesday night. So my phone starts blowing up. People are saying like, what is this? Did you not know about this? All that. So I'm like, well, actually take a look at my article that I just published like, you know, 30 minutes ago. And you'll see that that's not exactly accurate. Um, the intent of this was not to supersede. It was sort of to, you know, provide this minimum guideline or standard for cities and the cities can then do whatever they want to on top of it. So, um, yeah, that's, you mentioned the Twitter drama. That's, that's what happened. So I, I pointed out in very direct terms, this previous article wasn't exactly accurate. Here's the rest of the story. Uh, and that's, that's what got the ball rolling on some of the back and forth with me and the editor of, of one of those outlets. 
I know that this is probably one of those questions that we could ask about a lot of topics that you covered. Why didn't they just make it a little easier when they wrote the stupid thing? So, look, that's the bottom line here. Like, it doesn't matter necessarily, in my mind, certainly, it doesn't matter what the intent was at all. I mean, the story that I wrote was all framed around the confusion of the order. So, um, you know, you're you're the governor, you're in this big spot. I mean, this is, this is a... a you know, a lot of people have compared this moment, this pandemic, to Hurricane Katrina in terms of possible economic effects on the state. Uh, personally, I think this is going to have a much larger economic effect on the state than Katrina ever did. Um, you know, the, the parallel obviously breaks down the more you think about it. But um, this, this in all effects, is Tate Reeves' Hurricane Katrina. Um, you know, this is, this is the moment that he was... Um, elected to handle basically you know uh, every governor uh, supposedly has a big crisis and and this is it and it's it's early on in his term and so yeah i mean i think that's a very fair question chase i mean it, it you know you you need to be as clear as possible you need to be communicating these things as clearly as possible you need to be on top of it you need to be leading um and and reassuring a, a population of three million people in this who live in this state that uh everything is under control we're on top of it and um this certainly did not help his his case in terms of providing comfort to those people out there who um are scared or are wondering what this means for their personal lives and their futures so um yeah there was confusion the mayors were were upset they had already been frustrated a lot of them had already been frustrated with tate because uh, he hadn't given any sort of state level directive, and so the reason they had to do their own local level orders was because they felt like he was sitting on his hands. So um, then, you know, once he finally does issue this this statewide order, it wasn't exactly clear from the get go what it meant for them, and so they're even more frustrated. They're confused. They're trying to also be those leaders of people and to reassure people that everything's under control. Um, so it just makes it more difficult for them. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we can talk about the intent of that original language. We can talk about, um, how it got cleared up, but, um, yeah, bottom line is they, they messed up. I thought by, you know, not making it as clear as they could from the get go. And, um, you know, that caused a lot of tension and, and confusion that I don't think many people necessarily prefer to, to have to deal with right now. Took a break in our talk with Adam to tell you about Community Mortgage located in Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga, 30 years old this year, and one of the oldest mortgage companies in the Southeast. They're a leader in condo financing. Also, with uh, the underwriting processing done in Memphis, you're getting local underwriting understands your market and the float down option, which is pretty critical right now as you lock in a rate. But if the rates go down before you close, you get that lower rate. 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also tell you about Specialty Orthopedic Group, the big thing with them right now is they are open. Their Tupelo and Oxford locations are open. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho-related injuries in both those locations. They're also offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. There's a 24-hour access to appointments at 662-767-4200 or www.sogms.com. Remember, no referral needed. And they uh, will accept walk-ins right now with that going on. So give them a call again, 662-767-4200. Podcast also brought to you by Tyson Drugs and G&M Pharmacy with G&M. It's right down South Lamar in Oxford. But the big thing, they deliver locally in the Oxford area. To find out more, 662-236-2222. You'd like to get out of your house, they will bring your medicine to you. They also offer MedSync to make sure all your medicine comes on the same day every month to, uh, to sync it up and make it easy for you podcast brought to you in part by in-house interior and designs whether it's right now or when this passes and you want to do something to uh, improve the equity in your home in-house interior design with nikki and ashley they over 30 years of combined experience you can give them a shout at 662-681-6241 you can also text they will receive text messages again talk about something you want done now or at a later day keep them in mind they are tupelo and oxford locations when that becomes relevant and again that number 662-681-6241 6241 and then finally the podcast brought to you by visit oxford visit oxford ms 
dot com is the uh, is the address to see everything going on. We'll see ways you can help with the uh, COVID nineteen situation going on locally. You can see everywhere that you can get delivery, curbside pickup, and more from a uh, from a food standpoint and uh, and more. They'll just keep you abreast of everything you need to know. Again, that website is visitoxfordms.com. Now back to our talk with Adam Show. Yeah, because it would have been so easy to go, okay, if you're a municipality that already has something in place, that can stand if it is stronger than this. However, here is your baseline restrictions for places who have not passed something to this point. Okay, into the game. That's it. Okay, great. Let's all move on with our day. Sure. That you know, call it whatever you want to call it, and whatever. Do you have any? And, and really, this really doesn't matter. It's more my own personal interest at this point. Before I move on, do you have any reason to believe that maybe the intent changed throughout the day, or that it was potentially written weirdly on purpose as they tried to figure out sort of what the public perception was. I don't have any reason to think that they were being nefarious and how they wrote it. Um, I, my impression is that it was just kind of an honest mistake. Again, they're, they're new. They're learning these new roles. The staff at, at his office, they're stepping into a lot of this for the first time. Didn't think about that. Um, yeah. I do. I do think though, certainly, I mean the, the, uh, very immediate backlash from the mayors. I mean, I was, I was getting calls from uh, lawmakers and local officials um, within two hours of him dropping this thing. So, you know, when they're calling a reporter to ask questions, things are bad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think if if there was any backlash that, that caused him to backtrack a little bit, I mean, I don't, again, I don't have any knowledge of that, but if there was, it would have been because of the, the outrage of the mayors and the confusion that they expressed immediately. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a couple, a couple journalists claim that, um, their reporting sort of spurred that, that backtracking from Tate Reeves. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think it was, if anything, it was, it was the mayor's, but, um, yeah, that's definitely, definitely a factor and definitely something we're continuing to poke at. So, um, yeah. Yeah, because the mayors immediately, I mean, their their answer would have been to call the the, the governor's office and go, "Hey, what's up?" A, a explain it to me, and B, you're not going to take away my order, right? I mean, that was that, yeah, that that makes all the common sense in the world. So today he holds another press conference, and it was more to just clarify what we're already talking about. Yeah, he's been he's been. I mean, kudos to him. He's been having sort of regular press briefings when he's when he's been able to. Um, you know, they've they've been doing updates. Uh, for the press, the Department of Health and the governor have been doing pretty regular updates for the press. So in today's press briefing, um, part of part of just the general update, he said, I will be issuing uh, sort of a supplemental executive order that just makes very clear for everyone what our intent was with the previous executive order. So a few minutes before you called me, they actually did, did release that. Uh, haven't read every word of it, but I skimmed it well enough to see that that it was definitely a lot a lot more clear on sort of what the intent the legal intent was and and um, I've I've heard from a lot of those same mayors I talked to originally who were confused and frustrated and all of them seemed to be satisfied with with how this all was resolved so yeah. Do you have any I – mean, your, your opinion? I mean, when you, you're, you talk to other people. You can read tea leaves well enough. Do you think we're anywhere close to a tighter statewide restriction? I mean, what would what do you feel like would be necessary for us to get to another level from a, from a statewide mandate? So, I mean, that is the, the big question everyone has, including these mayors, including, uh, you know, even even folks who have been in Tate Reeves' corner on, on this and other issues. Um, we asked him that today. Uh, we've been asking him that, but we asked him that today because – um, you know, as he said, and as obviously is the case, these things are so fluid, you know, um, our, our rate two days ago, as you mentioned earlier, is 12th highest per capita in the country of, of infection, current, currently known infections of this virus. Um, that might be higher now. It might be lower now. Again, these, as more testing becomes available and is implemented, uh, those numbers are going to change a lot. So we asked Tate that question, Chase, today, point blank, you know, what's it going to take? And he uh, he said, I am relying completely on the advice of the health officials and um, experts who are advising me on this. And uh, the top this this is really interesting to me. The the top uh, advisor on on all of this in Mississippi is a guy named Dr. Thomas Dobbs, who uh, actually is an expert in um, he's an epidemiologist. He's an expert in uh, these these types of diseases. So. Um, 
or the spread of these diseases more specifically. So um, he was standing next to Tate and we said, Hey, Dr. Dobbs, like, let's ask you that question because Tate keeps deferring to you. Mm -hmm. What's it going to take in your mind for, for there to be, for you to recommend that the governor issue a statewide stay at home order, which I think as of today, like 22 states had issued some sort of stay at home order statewide. So this is happening. And again, you know, if, if we have the 12th highest rate of infection per capita, it's not out of the realm of possibility. What's it going to take? He didn't answer directly. He kind of sidestepped. He said, you know, it is fluid. Um, it's, I don't necessarily have a specific number or benchmark in mind. It's just going to, it's going to mean at the end of the day for me, if we think that a two week stay at home order could help stop the, the, you know, spread of, of this in Mississippi, then we'll do it. But at this point, I don't think that's going to help slow things down more. So, you know, again, man, this, like everything else, it, it, we're, we're relying on the experts. And I think um, in Thomas Dobbs, we have a guy who is regarded as sort of a national uh, mind on these things. I think uh, about three weeks ago, he was actually called to Washington to testify before Congress about the spread of this stuff. And not just because he's one of the 50 people who were called up there. He was one of you know, five or six. So, um, you know, it, it seems like at this point it's all in his hands. And if, if he makes the recommendation to, to Tate Reeves, Tate has said consistently that he'll, he'll uh, you know, do whatever is necessary based on what Dobbs recommends. And that would that that extra level, whether whether you call it a stay at home order, or a shelter in place, whatever we're talking about, that simply closes restaurants for good. That closes walking trails, parks, that kind of thing, right? It, it becomes only necessities from standpoints of pharmacies and grocery stores, correct? Different states have done it different ways, but yeah, that's that's the general logic. I think uh, Louisiana has has had one for about a week now, maybe not even quite a week yet. Um, of course they have in new Orleans, kind of one of the three epicenters in the country of, you know, the, the spread of this infection, this, this virus. But, uh, yeah, I think in Louisiana, they, it's pretty strict. I do believe restaurants and basically anything except for grocery stores, pharmacies, and I think hard might be one or two other banks, maybe something. I, I don't know what else it might be, but, um, the thing about Louisiana is that there is technically enforcement measure. There are enforcement measures in place that if, if you're violating the stay at home order, you can, uh, you know, go to jail. It's a misdemeanor. I think it is there, but, um, you know, that's, that's sort of the big question is, is if you take that drastic step, do you enforce it? How do you enforce it? I mean, these are, these are not easy questions. I mean, to, to, be completely fair to the governor and Thomas Dobbs and all the people who have to make these decisions. Um, it's tough, but, um, you know, at least from what he has said publicly, the governor has suggested that he will listen to the health experts. And if they recommend that we take that step then he'll do it. So, um, that's, that's all I can, all I can go based off is, is what he's saying. So, do you think new Orleans being one of those epicenters and being so close to the Mississippi border plays a role in this? Oh yeah. Um, the governor himself said that today. He said, you know, the, what happens in new Orleans is certainly going to affect Mississippi's Gulf coast. And, um, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know sort of, you know, how the spread occurs, but, you know, knowing the Mardi Gras situation, knowing how many of my loved ones from the Jackson area go to Mardi Gras and went to Mardi Gras this year, um, it just seems like, you know, there's, there's no way that a problem in New Orleans doesn't trickle into Mississippi somehow. I'm sure I'm, I, I would bet, you know, all the money in my bank account, put it on the table right now that, that somebody in Mississippi who currently is infected with that virus got it at Mardi Gras. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, like I said, that's something that even the governor himself has, has zoned in on. And, um, they're watching closely. I think what Louisiana does, Tate has said that he's, uh, spoken directly with uh, Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards about all this. So um, certainly, yeah, that, that New Orleans is a big deal for Mississippi. So in your best estimation from the people you've talked to, where are we at from a, you know, how, how high this would have to go for hospital overload and not just beds. We, everybody was focused on beds. But what I, I've talked to with some different people is just 
people, nurses, doctors, actual healthcare professionals when you when you don't have enough of those even around as well. I mean, obviously, you know, during the, the gubernatorial race, during Senate races, during everything, we talk about rural hospitals and what to do with them. But so much of our state is, is, is kind of hospital poor in a lot of ways. Where, where does that stand right now and how quickly could that get really overloaded if this thing keeps uh, escalating? Um, this, this is where, to be completely honest, I have colleagues who cover the healthcare side of things. And, um, you know, I, I I can, I can generally answer this question. I can't answer it as well as they can, but, uh, my colleague, Erica Hensley, who is our, our full-time healthcare reporter, she's just been all over this and quick plug here. And this is not just, just for the benefit of the company that I work for, but, my colleagues at Mississippi Today have been just doing outstanding work on all the beats. So we're sort of covering what we all normally cover, which is already the largest news staff in the state of Mississippi, and we're compiling it all on one page, a coronavirus-related page. So y'all please go to Mississippi Today's website. You'll see the links to the coronavirus page at the, at the top of the website. Um, you, can, you can see all kinds of stuff. We have a lot of data and, and charts and maps that you can click through. It's really great. But uh, back to your question specifically, Erica wrote a story uh, five or so days ago. She she went and covered a press conference that University of Mississippi Medical Center did, um, and it was it was pretty grim. I mean, they straight up said, if we see infection rates in Mississippi like um, you know several other states have already seen, our hospitals are going to be at capacity within a month or so. Um, you know, I'm I'm trying to read through here. Uh, there, UNC has has set up these testing sites all across the state. Today, they announced that um, they're they're going to implement these specialized coronavirus clinics. Uh, two of them that they're going to start out piloting is one's going to be in DeSoto County, one's going to be in Cahoma County in the Delta. Um, you know they're they're worried just like every other state and all the other healthcare systems across the country. They're worried about um, PPE, the equipment that's necessary for for the um, you know medical staff to to protect themselves. First off, um, they're worried about ventilators and they're worried about bed space. And Mississippi, you know, I've I've been covering politics long enough, just elections because you know healthcare is obviously a big election issue. So we just got done with the big statewide election last year, obviously. And, um, you know, depending on any number of, of measures or benchmarks you're looking at, Mississippi ranks near last in, in most of these categories. And one of these categories is sort of access to a hospital. Um, our, our rural health care system in Mississippi has been gutted. So say you live in a county like uh, Chickasaw, where Houston is, um, they, I don't believe have any ICU beds. So if you live there and you get the coronavirus and you need that specialized care for whatever reason in an ICU, you're going to have to go to Jackson or you're going to have to go to Tupelo or wherever is closest that has a bed available. And, and that's the problem, Chase, is, is what, 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 if, if we keep seeing these numbers rise in Mississippi and that's what, according to every official who's talking about this, it's going to happen. Um, we're going to run out of beds for these people who need it. So, um, you know, one of the things the governor talked about today is, um, on Friday. So I guess whenever this podcast airs today, um, the governor is going to go down and tour some facilities at Camp Shelby, uh, which is of course the, um, military base just South Hattiesburg. Um, because they have some buildings that they think they can basically turn into some temporary hospital rooms if they need to. Um, that's where we're at already. You know, the governor of Mississippi is already going to military bases to look at, like, old dormitories to see if, um, you know, it, they could be turned into some temporary hospital rooms for people who need it. So um, that's, that's a bleak outlook. Again, I don't know the numbers as specifically as, as some of my colleagues do or some other uh, certainly more qualified officials across the state do. But, yeah, it's it's uh, this could be a very real problem for a lot of people in Mississippi, um, specifically as it relates to health care. Podcast is also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. The Iron Horse Grill specializes in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. So if you're planning a birthday party, a graduation celebration, 
a rehearsal dinner or a wedding reception, you want to be able to enjoy the moment. The Iron Horse Grill is your answer. It's a one-stop shop for beverage services for a 250 to 500 person wedding or even a 3,500 person gala. It's one of the largest beverage caterers in Mississippi and it can service the entire state. So call Sarah Black at 601-398-0151 for your catering needs and knock that off your worry list. Let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. Don't just accept what you see, but imagine something new. Step forward and chase after a better version of yourself. Every day, Corinth Dental is helping people reinvent themselves one smile at a time. Dr. Bubba McQueen, Dr. Jenny Beth Hendrick are devoted to restoring and enhancing the natural beauty of your smile using conservative, state-of-the-art procedures, including Invisalign. These clear aligners are the virtually invisible way to improve your smile. So call Corinth Dental today. For a no-cost digital scan of your teeth, let them show you the way to a straighter, healthier smile. 12 months, no interest, no down payment financing available at CorinthDental.com. We're also brought to you by Dead Soxy. Dead Soxy knows these are uncertain times, and uh, they, they're not going to throw a bunch of uh, spin at you, no tricks, no gimmicks. They do want you to be comfortable all the way down to the socks that you're wearing. They'll prove that to you. Go to DeadSoxy.com. Use the promo code REBELGROVE at checkout for 30% off all orders. And uh, stay tuned for an even in more incredible uh, uh, opportunity from uh, Dead Soxy as they navigate their way and we navigate our way through this uh, weird time in our world's history. Stay safe. Stay Soxy. We're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with a Nest and Wild mattress. Nest and Wild is a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, giving you comfort and support that will last. A lot of online brands sell an 8 or 10-inch mattress with less support and durability, but from the twin size to the California King, every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick. It's American-made, and uh, it's a fantastic deal. It's a no-risk decision. Nest and Wild believes in their product so much they're offering a 99-night trial for every mattress, so try it out. Sleep on it for 99 nights. If you don't like it, you can return it. You'll love it. Nestandwild.com will make it even better. Enter the uh, promo code REBEL20 at checkout. That's REBEL20. Get 20% off your purchase, and your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. We're also brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust is based in Madison, Mississippi, but it represents clients in more than 20 states, has advisors in multiple states as well. Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. It's pintrust.com, P-I-N-N trust.com. Mention you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fee. And what's obvious from your answer, but also relevant to just point out quickly, is when that person from Houston Houston or Oklahoma or wherever ends up in Jackson or Tupelo, those hospitals are built for people in those areas from a size standpoint. So you're yeah. taking beds up, you know, because you got to think Jackson would potentially be more of an epicenter than Oklahoma. You know what I mean? Like Tupelo more sure. than South Hillo or whatever, you know. So you've got you've got an interesting thing there, too, where it just it, it compounds on one another. It's, it's not just it, it's not a linear problem. It's a very exponential problem as you start going down through it. Um, so, yeah, you, you mentioned the economy really early on. Mm-hmm. Um. Obviously, local economies are being hammered right now, the hospitality in- industry, but really any contract worker, any uh, any vendor, any type of hourly worker whatsoever, I mean, easily could be could be without a job for a long period of time, without a whole lot of structure as far as how they, they make up for it. Um, what are the biggest, I guess, early risk from an economy standpoint in Mississippi? Like, what, what, what would you sort of put your eye on to go, hey, these are the things that really could crumble quickly as far as our statewide economy? Well, I think the first thing, uh, and, and again, this is just going to sound like I'm trying to direct everyone listening to our website for personal reasons, but I mean, just, just generally speaking, it's, it, my colleagues have done a great job of, of, uh, you know, a broad variety of different topics covered, but my colleague Anna Wolf today wrote a story. This is, this is my first thought on the, on your question. She wrote a story. The headline is Mississippi unemployment claims jumped nearly 600% due to, to COVID-19. So, that is week over week. So the the number of unemployment claims in the state of Mississippi this week is 600% higher than it was last week. Um, it, 
you know, it's, it's such a demand for trying to sign up for those unemployment benefits that the website, the, the state's employment department's website crashed and their phone lines are jammed. So the numbers that we're seeing aren't even fully reflective of the demand because of uh, those technical glitches. Um, you know, the state of Mississippi has a limited sort of pool of money to, to offer unemployed for unemployed Mississippians. Um, that's, that's not an unlimited amount of money. Um, something to keep an eye on, and this is something that we're certainly covering at Mississippi today, um, is what's happening in Washington. This, this $2 trillion, um, stimulus plan, uh, that's going to help mitigate some of these employment problems for a lot of individuals, but also it looks like states are going to get some spending discretion on how they dole out that money as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, just thinking generally about unemployment and sort of the, the tank that the tank of money that does exist there and how quickly that could dry up. Um, that's one consideration. Another consideration is just general fund revenue. So, um, you know, there are, I think, 90-ish, 95-ish general fund agencies in Mississippi. So those are the state agencies and departments that that provide the most basic services for, for the state. Um, you know, anything from health care to uh you know, uh, paying highway patrolmen to mm-hmm. um, other sort of, uh, you know, infrastructure concerns and health care concerns, that stuff. Um, that's all funded by the amount of tax revenue we collected, or most of, most of that is funded by the tax revenue that we collect. So, you know, if you're Tate Reeves and you ultimately do get a recommendation from the state, state's uh, health official that, hey, we need to shut everything down for at least two weeks because this is, this is spreading too quickly, um, you got to think about like the kind of economic effect that would have, um, even short of that. So just take where we are today. Um, it's evident. I mean, I don't need to tell anyone listening that this is real because it's so real, obviously, but, um, it's, it's evident that, that state revenue is going to be, uh, gutted just where we are right now, you know, without that comprehensive stay at home order statewide. So, um, you know, like I said at the very beginning of this episode, I, I compared this to Katrina in terms of the economic effects. Um, I just don't see how this can't be worse than Katrina when, when it's all said and done. And I'm not not trying to to necessarily uh, be a, a doomsday predictor here, but um, you know, we're already seeing these unemployment numbers. Just just one indication of sort of how bad this could be short and certainly long-term for Mississippi's economy. And another thing to keep in mind generally about the economy is that we just, in the last fiscal year, we just hit that we just matched that revenue amount that we had been getting prior to the Great Recession of 2008-2009. So Mississippi's economy has been very slow to recover after that recession from 10, 12 years ago. Uh, and here we are again, you know, we're, we're left, you know, Mississippi will certainly be impacted, uh, harder than many other states as we always are by any sort of large scale recession or, or depression. So just from a book standpoint, it took 12 years to come back from that 11, 12 yep. years, whatever it was. 12 years. We, we were the slowest state to, to get back to that point. And, um, compared to all of our neighboring states, um, we were well beyond track um, in terms of recovery from the Great Recession. So, um, again, like, I, you know, I, I love this state. I, I, I do what I do, and I live here because I, I um, really do care about the people here, and, and this, is, this is where I want my life to be. And um, I, I don't say these things to trash Mississippi. Um, it's just the reality of where we are. This is a, this is a relatively um, speaking, it's, it's one of the poorest states in the country, Um, you know, we have the highest rate of poverty of any state in the country. We have the lowest household median income of any state in the country. Uh, we were slow to recover from the recession as it was. And something like this is, is just really, really not, uh, favorable to sort of our short and long-term future. Putting some numbers to what you mentioned, it's not going to go more than a percentage. So last week, 1147 was the employment number for that week, six, 6,723 this week, uh, 
So just putting kind of in context what that actually uh, that looks like. And, you know, two things, too, from a revenue standpoint. A, I mean, Mississippi is a tourism state, and there's no tourism going on whatsoever right now. And then, B, yeah. they've delayed, as they should. This is not a criticism. This is a positive thing for what they did for their people. But they've delayed uh, income tax payments for the for the year as well. So even, right. e- even less money coming in from that standpoint because most people aren't paying it well ahead of time. It's just the way it is. So they've got even those uh, th- th- those issues as well. I mean, no, it's a uh, it's it's a it's a major deal as we uh, as we move forward. And there's no, I mean, we're all kind of waiting to see here and whatever. And this is probably something geared for one of your colleagues, as you said. But uh, from a availability of testing standpoint, from how quickly numbers are getting turned around, do we have any indication inside the state as far as? how far behind we are from a reporting standpoint versus where the, the virus technically is as far as a, a, you know, a spreading standpoint day to day? No. So that's, that's sort of one of the lingering questions that we've been trying for at least two weeks to get an answer to. Um, uh, it's, it is completely unclear sort of how quick that turnover is. I can tell you just a, a quick anecdote I heard uh, yesterday as I was calling some of these local officials about the, the contradictions in the statewide and local orders, but um, Forest County was, of course, Hattiesburg. Um, that that was the first county that reported or had a confirmed case of, of COVID nineteen. And uh, I heard yesterday from a source I trust very very greatly that they there are right now at least fifteen hundred pending tests that have already been administered, but they don't have results for yet, just in that county alone. So, you know, uh, I don't know. Again, my colleagues would know better sort of the percentages of, of positive confirmed cases to test. I think it's somewhere around 25%. If I'm, Don't quote me on that, actually. It might not be true. But it's, it's, it's not necessarily a, a substantial number, percentage confirmed cases of, of those tested. But... You know, if say there's a thousand pending cases in one county, there's going to be a handful, at least, I'd say, of of positive confirmed cases of, of virus. So, um, yeah, we don't know. We we just don't know the answer to that. And that's, um, you know, from a transparency perspective and and sort of as a reporter and what I do every day, that's not a great thing. But this is a problem everywhere. This is not necessarily just a Mississippi specific problem. Um, so. Uh, yeah, we'll, we're going to keep obviously pursuing uh, getting a good answer to that question. I hope that this is what we're talking about later in the year, and this is behind us, and we're moving on to things that uh, we've discussed before and will again. But early on, let's let, let's say COVID's gone by the fall. What's uh, what's sort of your early read on the Senate race? Um, yeah, the, the Senate race I think is is going to be interesting. It's look, it's a presidential year, which means in Mississippi. A um, whole lot more Republicans traditionally turn out in at least modern history uh, than the Democrats do. Uh, Senate race, of course, being that that rematch of the 2018 special Senate race between Cindy Hot Smith and Mike Espy. Um, you know, Mike Espy says he learned a lot of lessons from 2018. He uh, he was able to raise a ton of money. He outraised Cindy Hot Smith uh, in that election in 2018, uh, but a majority of that that discrepancy or or, uh, difference there in fundraising came really late in that campaign because of some of the controversy and the controversial comments that she had made late. Um, So he says, basically, we raised a ton of money, uh, but we didn't have a great campaign operation. We didn't necessarily know what we were doing because we hadn't run a campaign in many years. Um, And we got all this money, but it was too late to really do anything with it. Um, this year, he's going to have money. I, I don't know if he'll have as much as he did then because that was a special election. It was a midterm year. Um, there was a little bit more attention on, on Mississippi than, than normally would be, but um, he won't struggle raising money. I don't think money is going to be what, what keeps him out of this uh, out of this race. It, if anything, it's just going to be sort of the, the partisan nature of where we are. Uh, you know, Cindy Hyde-Smith will get the endorsement of Donald Trump, who will be um, – fighting this sort of ideological battle on a national level, very visceral level to basically say, you know, we need to protect what we stand for, what we believe in. This is bigger than me. It's about, you know, the people of this country who are fed up with Democrats and all these crazy things. So, you know, Mississippi being a very red state, I still, I'd still say that SB has a, has a, a pretty strong uphill battle to climb, but, 
Uh, Cindy Hyde-Smith is not the most popular incumbent there's ever been. Um, depending on sort of how Trump continues to handle all this coronavirus stuff, that might have an effect on uh, what we're looking at. That's another thing you just you can't really know, like you said, what, where we're going to where we're going to be even a week from now, let alone you know six months from now. But uh, yeah, I mean it's it's intriguing enough for me to sit back and say we need to devote some time and energy to this because I think at the end of the day. You know, in 2016, no one, no one thought Donald Trump could could become president. Uh, a month and a half ago, no one thought Joe Biden would be the presumptive nominee. They thought Biden was done. Um, in both cases, both both sides of the aisle, you know, there are these crazy things happening that uh, even the the most experienced political operatives who get paid a ton of money to be right about these things have missed completely. So, you know, from my perspective, just looking at that. And, and understanding just sort of the uncertainty and the, the um, you know, sheer just sort of uh, confusion about politics in America today. I think you, you can't write anything off, but this is still Mississippi. This is still a very Republican state. And I think Cindy Hyde-Smith is the, the, uh, the heavy favorite to win that race. The Oxford Exxon podcast is also brought to you in part by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis, this thing will eventually end, and when it does, we're all going to want to get out of our homes. We're going to want to get out of our towns. We're kind of going to just get away, see something new. We're going to be tired of being uh, confined to our houses. And uh, you want to take a trip that you'll remember for a lifetime. John Edwards can make that possible. He's with Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. What you do is you give him a call. You give him some parameters. You give him a budget. Let him give you options. And uh, know this, you don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of the services. 901-494-3387 or send him an email, jedwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients can save $50 off their first booked trip. Just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan is the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles Great lease deals as well. It's located just off Interstate 55 in Grenada. Go in, tell Gene and Sandy and the people there at Grenada Nissan that you heard about Grenada Nissan on the podcast or at rebelgrove.com. You'll get Rebel Savings on top of the already great deals at Grenada Nissan. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. And brought to you by Oxford University Bank, OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the comfort of home, all the benefits the big mega banks provide, all the technology and products you can want, all with the personal touch. And when you call OUB, you speak directly with a live person. No 10 buttons to push, no five minutes to wait. What there is is the absolute best cash checking account. It's called Casasa. And with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. OUB also offers online bill pay and mobile check deposit using its online app. To learn more about OUB, check out liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. And we're brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group. They are dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in uh, 2019, their team is comprised of of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward thinking and cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. Bluff City values providing quality advice, experience, and access to all their clients, and they invite an open dialogue beyond your annual review. They believe that everyone deserves financial security. No matter your level of wealth or financial goal, they will serve as an advocate and guide to grow a portfolio that is fruitful and sustainable for you. Give them a call at 901-365-3447 or email ben, that's B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. She sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes. 
her cell 662-567-2573 or you can call her at Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors 662-842-3844. Obviously Jim Hood was competitive for the for the for the governor uh, race. Mike Espy, like I said, raised tons of money. At least was worth talking about throughout something that a Republican typically wins inside this state. If if you were the campaign manager for a Democrat running for senator or even governor next time or whatever, what's the voting strategy? What areas are you trying to hit? Like what 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 do you think is the lesson the left needs to learn in this state to try to pick up votes and try to do some things to to overcome some of this? Because you know Hood did make quite a run, but it seemed like he had a couple of missteps in there as far as the kind of person to uh, to target that would show up at the polls for him. That's right. So if if you look back at that 2018 Senate race with Mike Espy, Espy got about uh, seven and a half points uh, from winning that race, which was the closest a Democrat in Mississippi has come to winning a Senate race in modern history since um, um, you know since the rise of the, the modern Republican. Party. Since, since Democrats were Republicans, in a way to put it, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, that was, like I said, seven and a half points in 18 for SB. In 19, Jim Hood got five and a half points. So the needle, in theory, if you look at it sort of from the 30,000-foot angle, the needle is moving. It is trending left towards Democrats in this state. Um, you know, I think what what SB is trying to do this year in, in 2020 is take some of those lessons he learned from his race in 18 take some lessons that Democrats in Mississippi learned in 19 from Jim Hood's race, and they have basically a two-pronged approach here. So the first is um, look for those persuadable suburban voters. So, you know, on a national level, we, we know that hardcore trends in suburban areas across the country, particularly with college-educated women, have been towards Democrats. They are voting Democratic for the first time ever, basically. Um, that's happening in Mississippi. If you take two counties specifically, Madison County, just north of Jackson, and of course, DeSoto County, south of Memphis, um, those counties have hardcore trended towards Dems in the last two years, these, these two big statewide election cycles. Um, Jim Hood actually won Madison County last year, which I believe is the first time a Democrat has won that county ever. So Democrat as, as we know them today. Um, Mike Espy, I think in 2018, two days before the runoff election, he spent an entire day in DeSoto County because um, he knew that was going to be a big, a big sort of get for Democrats. And he was right about that. He didn't win it, but um, I think he got something like four or five points from winning it. So, um, yes, so that's the first approach is target those college educated suburban voters. We're talking counties like Madison, DeSoto. Rankin even has been trending left. Uh, you know, Oxford, Lafayette County, Starkville, Tibaha County, Tupelo, Lee County, um, Hattiesburg, Forest County, and Lamar County, which is a Hattiesburg suburb. Um, all of those counties, I think Democrats and Mike Espy specifically this year is going to spend a lot of time in and he's going to try to win over those persuadable voters. But that's a lot of what Jim Hood tried to do. And I think he focused, he kind of put most of his eggs in that basket and it clearly didn't work out for him. So the two pronged approach that I mentioned, the second prong of that for SB is trying like hell to increase black turnout across the state. Um, you know, if you look at potential voting age population voters, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of gains to be made with, uh, white Republican voters, you know, white, white Republican voters are pretty consistent. They, tend to turn out, particularly older voters, they, they have a very high percentage of voter turnout. Um, they're going to the polls, um, but older black voters don't. They traditionally haven't, at least. Um, and I think SB has talked about trying to target um, you know, black voters generally, but specifically older black voters who um, haven't necessarily felt a reason to go out and be excited about a certain candidate or whatever. So SB obviously I think can make that case a lot better than Jim Hood could, you know, SB was the first African-American uh, elected to Congress in Mississippi uh, post reconstruction. Um, you know, I, you know, he, he has that family history. I believe it was his grandfather who, uh, you know, started a black hospital years ago and sort of was this notoriously um, 
uh, you know, famous sort of uh, black figure in Mississippi. So um, he's going to try to try to capitalize on both of those those prongs there, sort of reaching out to those college-educated suburban voters, but also trying to increase black turnout. And again, there's, the numbers are there, um, particularly among African American voters. There there are a bunch of African American registered voters who don't traditionally vote. So he thinks he's got a good shot at it. We'll see. Um, like I said, it's it's an uphill battle in this state, no matter how you look at it. But uh, he, he feels pretty confident he's going to do better this year. Yeah, it's enough to intrigue me just from campaign strategy and kind of what I like in, in, in that realm because from what you're talking about, he's at least fitting to be a better candidate than Hood from a statewide level and ways to do this. And then, I mean, as, as crazy as this is, I mean, Cindy Hyde-Smith's a much worse candidate than Tate. I, I get it's across different elections, but you know what I mean, just as far as support systems and, and, and what's in That's place right. for either one of those the, one of those sides of those candidates. That's right, yeah. And, and again, Cindy Hyde-Smith sort of not being the most popular candidate there's ever been. He's raised uh, no money, right? There's ever been. You know, it's, it's interesting to think about. I mean, I saw, was it you reported that she was like 96th or something in fundraising to this point? Yeah, so um, she, of the 100 incumbents in the Senate right now, she was the 90, she raised less money than, hold on, I'm, I'm trying to get my, my phrasing right here. On, on the, the, the most money raised in this current cycle, she was ranked 96. So three people were lower than her in fundraising. That's it, just three incumbent senators. And all three of those incumbents had already announced that they're not seeking re-election. So um, she has struggled raising money, and, and that is due directly because of some of that controversy that, that uh, she, she stirred back in 2018, the, the racial controversy and the comments that she made. So um, that's certainly another factor here. It's, it's an intri- Like I said, it's intriguing enough for me to sit back and say, we need to focus a lot of attention on this because anything can happen. So. She would be more vulnerable if it was not an election year for the president, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, if this yeah. was a midterm year, I think Espy would be pumped. But, yeah, you yeah. know, it, it. like I said, presidential election years in modern history, political history incumbent, in this state, re- yeah, and, and Republicans and Republican just come too. out of the woodwork. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm assuming uh, we're, we're, we're going to operate on this podcast if I get nailed by with it that we're going to have a football season because everybody kind of needs that. But uh, from a sports standpoint, what are you missing right now? It's got to be kind of weird. Oh, man. I am. So we're recording this on Thursday night. So I am mourning, absolutely mourning uh, what should be MLB opening day. That's right. Um, yeah. Huge, huge Red Sox fan. Uh, for anyone hating out there, I was a Red Sox fan because my dad lived there and I was born into it before we won that 2004 World Series. So. <laughs> Not a bandwagon fan, just to clear that up. Um, yeah, so that, I think the Rebs should be 24-1 and one after 24 a win at Memphis okay. this week. Gotcha. Um, you know, that's been absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, don't, need to, don't need to, you know, say any more about that because I think everyone listening would fully appreciate that. Um, you know, football season, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit worried, but I'm still hopeful, um, you know, uh, don't think I will ever take sports for granted again. I can tell you that. Um, you know, looking looking forward to hopefully being in Houston for for the Lane Trains first game. Uh, should be a lot of fun, and hopefully by then baseball will be back, and or MLB baseball will be back, and we can um, start to appreciate these things that that uh, you know, at least in my my mind, I had never never considered that something like this might happen, and and. Uh, you know, every day I'm sitting at my house thinking I can turn on a basketball game, NBA game, or a baseball game or something, and it's just it's, it's killing me like I know it's killing everyone else. So um, glad, I'm glad that y'all are doing what you're doing, keeping everyone uh, entertained. And I know that you've been doing a lot of good podcasts and trying to keep our mind off of the sadness that particularly old Miss fans are feeling with this baseball season. Good Lord, it's just it, it, it will be, it will be yeah i've got a couple over the years that i've covered them i think this is year 15 from an old miss baseball standpoint i've always, i've got like unanswered questions that i have about almost every team and with this one i mean there's so many obvious ones but their makeup was so good to be kind of a young team as far as a toughness a, some a somewhat of a confidence about them that they had that i thought okay they're going to get kicked in the teeth at some point 
But I think they're the kind of group, especially with their starting pitching, that can kind of bounce out of it and do something you know, potentially special in a year that we didn't necessarily expect that going in. And I, I do. I think it's going to take a long time for that question not to bug me as far as what that is going to be like as uh, as time goes on and we'll never know the answer to. So, yeah, that's right up there to the top. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that – we get football. I'd like an October Masters if we could pull that off. I'd love to see Augusta oh, yeah, in, that'd be great. in October <laughs> if we could find a way to do that. So I'm just just trying to just trying to get there right now. That's that's all we're doing. Just trying to kind of get to the fall because I can I can give up my spring. I'm okay. But if you told me, hey, everything in the fall is okay, and hey, double decker is going to go on on August 14th, 15th. I think that's when they've rescheduled it to this point. I'll uh, I'll, I'll be okay with that. I can find a way to make that work. That's right. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I'm I'm trying to stay positive about it. I'm watching some old baseball reruns and trying to keep my mind and my spirits up. But um, yeah, I, I I tend to think that we'll be okay. Hopefully, hopefully a month from now we'll be looking back on this as just a very dark, unfortunate time. And um, I don't know if Ole Miss fans will ever think about this baseball season without just being uh, sad and and wondering how far they could have taken it. But you know. Uh, is what it is, man. We're we're just all trying to get by and and trying to cope with this the best way we can. I uh, I recorded a, a Bourbon South with Mickey Calloway, the Angels pitching coach, former Mets manager today, and I was I was kind of joking with him. Opened up and I said, "Yeah, so March 26th, you probably didn't think you'd be talking to me today, huh?" And he kind of laughed or whatever, and he said, "You know, what's interesting for him is that being in his first year on the job, he's he's there with Joe Madden, the new manager of the of the Angels." is it still feels like the offseason because, yeah, he'd been around the team some, but he's not like he had moved to L.A. yet. They hadn't had games. I mean, even, you know, spring training was kind of in, in, in a middle ground standpoint. I think he was still learning the ropes a little bit just from a, from a new position standpoint, and then you're automatically separated again. He's had to try to find ways to keep throwing programs up for especially starting pitchers because they have no, they have no idea how long it's going to be once they say restart they'll actually have to get ready. So in a lot of ways – He's put them in implementations to go ahead and be in somewhat game shape. Like he said, he was even doing these things called 5-15s or 15-5s where he would tell a starting pitcher, go throw 15, 20 pitches, then go sit down for five minutes, get up, do it again, get up, do it again, essentially trying to simulate a start to get them as ready as they can go once they they, they can reassemble uh-huh. the team. That's fascinating. I cannot wait to listen to that episode. That's that's one of those. Like, I, I thank you for entertaining us in, in this terrible time of no sports. But um, that's that's the kind of thing that just, I'm I'm so grateful for y'all. I, I mean, I saw that that somewhere I read that Rob Manfred said yesterday. I think it was sometime this week that um, his optimistic hope is that they can start playing baseball sometime in May. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that that gave me so much hope. I know I know it's an optimistic uh, sort of goal as he as he put it himself, but. Yeah, uh, for for folks like Mickey Callaway and you know anybody, I, I went to high school with Hunter Renfro. Uh, of course, our our Mississippi State mm-hmm. nemesis for a few years there, but he he just got traded to the to the Rays, which as a Red Sox fan, I'm not thrilled about. But it'll be fun to see him play uh, more often. But you know, I just I just really got to wonder what it's like for them. Their their whole schedules have just been thrown off, and uh, yeah, we're like I said, everybody, no matter who you are, whether you're an old old fan like like me who was terrible at baseball and could never never do that anything like that or whether you're Mickey Callaway trying to tell your players how to handle it we're all just trying to get through this so yeah so anyway appreciate the uh, the time tonight it must be today again a lot of stuff there with you and your uh, your colleagues again there's a there's a landing page to find all the new information um, is anything in the next 24 48 hours press briefings briefings or anything kind of on tap for people to be looking out for uh, it, man, it's so hard to answer that question. I mean, like I said before, everything is so fluid. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, tomorrow we might see a crazy spike in cases and that, that forces state officials to go ahead and issue a stay-at-home order. It's, I mean, I don't have any indication that's going to happen, but you just never know. We're not we're not taking weekends off right now, I can tell you that. So um, just just keep up with, with what my colleagues are doing at Mississippi Today. MississippiToday.org, it's just like I cannot brag on them enough. They're they're doing just excellent work, uh, bringing their their own areas of expertise that are already pretty broad and uh, covering state government and and bringing it all to the table to cover this this pandemic. It's it's been awesome to see, awesome to work with, and I've learned a ton just by reading our site every morning. So y'all y'all keep up with us, sign up. We have text alerts, email alerts if you want, and it's all free. There's no paywall ever, um, 
and yeah, that's that's basically it. Okay. Well, appreciate the work, and we'll uh, we'll do it again. Thanks so much, Chase. I appreciate y'all.